Welcome to The Workplace, where we're hot on the trail of what makes great workplace cultures tick and what we can all do to make the ones we work in better. I'm Andrew Scarcella. This episode, we'll be talking with Alex Lovell about the 2020 Global Culture Report, the O.C. Tanner Institute's second annual deep dive into the state of workplace culture. It's absolutely essential reading for anyone looking to influence and improve the culture they work in. Join us after the interview for Tangible Takeaways, where we'll talk about the ideas and actions we can take with us to our own workplace cultures. Alex Lovell is the Director of Research and Assessment for the O.C. Tanner Institute. He's an advanced Ph.D. candidate at the University of Utah, where, until very recently, he's also been a professor. Alex specializes in mixed-method and multi-method research, with a focus on blending qualitative research with survey and experimental data. He's consulted with a wide variety of companies to develop and implement large-scale culture and recognition measurement plans, leading to robust KPIs and ROI conversations which is just a fancy way of saying he's very, very good at his job. Alex was interviewed by me, and if it seems like we're getting along famously, it's because we work together, though not as often as I'd like. And because there's no one to banter with, I suppose I should just say, let's get to it. And get to it. Alex, welcome to the workplace. Thanks, I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk about the 2020 Global Culture Report, your brainchild. (laughs) I wouldn't say my brainchild, but uh, um, lots of brain power there on my team. I am so excited to talk about it, too. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. I've uh, I've actually traveled quite a bit this last three months. Uh, you know, a, fr- a friend on a bit of a press tour. Yeah, they 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 kind of just like you're you're on press right now, and I'm just <laughs> like, but I didn't publish a book, and they're like, it's kind of y- y'all did, <laughs> like great, <laughs> but it's been fun. I'm excited to talk about it. Well, let's get into it. Why do we need a global culture report? You know, it's a really, really great question. I've been asked it several times. And and as I've thought through it, and, and really the main reason why we created it in the first place was that there was no, I, I think, main kind of culture report for the industry. There, there were a lot of reports about different things. There's reports that I look up to. Um, you know, Gallup releases a really great annual report on engagement. We've seen really great reports from Aon, uh, Deloitte, the human capital report. Great. Mm-hmm. But none of them have really focused on culture. And what was really interesting through our research, we came up with a, a framework for culture from the employee's perspective. And we really wanted to inaugurate our, our you know, that <laughs> first rapport with that perspective, which has been a very important perspective to start taking into account when we want to create great workplace cultures that help people thrive, when we want to create great employee experiences that that make people, you know, want to come to work and give it their all and tell others that it's a great place to work. So you mentioned the the first Global Culture Report. This year's is the second annual Global Culture Report. What has change since the last report. Uh, Is workplace culture changing as fast as the rest of culture seems to be? Oh, definitely. I think, uh, I mean, if you think about organizations, they're kind of like kind of little micro 
cultures, organizations that are um, that are changing, transforming, etc., um, in isolation and in conjunction with all the other types of cultures that we see around the world. They're at the not end, separate are they? They're not separate. It's all very interconnected. I mean, when we think about culture, just in and of itself, culture starts with just a, the people that are getting together. You know, in this room together right now, we're creating our own culture with some established norms and values and behaviors that are acceptable, that are unacceptable. You know, that in and of itself changes even when you add one person in. So as soon as you hire some new people or some people move on, your culture has changed, even just a little bit. Try as you might, you can't control culture as much as you want to. Well, there's an organic component to culture, definitely. And it's very grassroots. I think there are some ways that organizations can um, design parts of their culture because culture will happen regardless of you if you design it or not. I think organizations are in a really great place to work with their employees to co-create a culture that has multiple points of view from an employee's perspective as well as the organization's perspective. That's important too. What does the organization want to accomplish in the world? What good does it do to humanity? Which is kind of a millennial statement, but <laughs> it's true. And it's not just millennials. It's not just Gen Zers that want to work for an organization that gives back to the community and, you know, helps people's lives be better. That That is something that every generation has wanted to some degree. Yeah, maybe the uh, the younger generations are just a little more vocal about wanting it. Definitely more vocal on it. So diving into the 2020 culture report. What was the most surprising finding, the most unexpected insight? There's two that come to mind. One of them was just around burnout. And mm. it, was, it was fascinating. I, I, I remember the focus group really, really well. We could literally see and feel and experience the pain that this employee was going through as they express burnout. Um, I, I mean, truly, the emotion that was in there was was unavoidable. You you couldn't get around it. It it brought the entire room together in in a way that was interesting because everybody's kind of experienced burnout in their career. What we didn't realize was the pervasiveness of burnout in the workplace and how often it is ignored. How often we just kind of say, "Well, that's just how it is here." Is almost sometimes a nice disguise for factors that are that are burning you out. And and we found that I mean, nearly eight out of ten employees are burned out. I guess, you know, technically mathematically, four out of five employees are burned out to some degree, mild, moderate, or severe. Almost one in two are suffering from moderate to severe burnout. That might be the most frightening statistic, the one in two, because I mean like you said, everybody's experienced some form of burnout, but I think maybe the majority, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, maybe the majority are experiencing the light, the version of burnout, but like moderate to severe, half of the people are, I mean, that's that must be affecting their performance, their health, so many things. Well, so many things. I think uh, when we think about burnout, what has traditionally been quote unquote burnout is overutilization, right? Somebody that just has too much work on their plate. Yeah, too many hours, too much work. And, you know, so the World Health Organization in May came out with a, a statement calling burnout a syndrome. And it was chronic workplace stress that's not been successfully managed. And in our research, what we decided to do is to us, the message rang true that, well, it must be culture then 
that is leading to burnout. And we found different aspects of culture that perpetuate burnout, that increase the likelihood of burnout. And you're right. It doesn't just affect the employee right there in the moment in their job. Employees bring it back to their homes and it starts affecting their relationships, um, it, you know, in their in their personal life. And in areas where there's a high amount of burnout just in a community, it's going to affect communities. I think that's why all of a sudden there's so much more attention on workplace burnout because it has so many effects. It's increasing healthcare costs. It's increasing, you know, mental illnesses, people suffering from depression, suffering from anxiety because work is perpetuating many of these things. So bit of a burnout crisis going on. Just a bit, <laughs> just a little bit. What was the, uh, you mentioned two things, I think, at the at the top here. What was the second thing that was uh, that really maybe caught you off guard? You know, the, the second one, um, so we did a lot of research around the employee experience. And, and even in my career, like I, I remember a lot of my leadership development courses right when I was becoming a leader for the first time. And something that was drilled into my mind all the time was that one bad experience, it kind of, it takes like four or five really, really good experiences to come back from one bad experience. Mm. And you know, what we found is that's not necessarily the case. And that was really surprising to all of us as we kind of reviewed that. And it was alarming to me because I was like, oh, crap, uh, you know, what has gone wrong to, to you know, find this, this finding that's really counter to it. But then we replicated it through multiple types of research and found that peak experiences, those really, really great, significant experiences actually last longer in the employee's mind than you know, valley experiences. I, I, I kind of lost the battle on what we were going to call those really negative ones. <laughs> I was going for trough, but uh, that's a <laughs> mathematical term that not many people get. So valley works. More of a farm term to yeah, me. Yeah. You know, everybody's <laughs> like, it reminds me of pigs. I'm like, great. <laughs> so um, these trough moments, though, everybody points to those as these long lasting, terrible moments. But we found that they actually lasted half the time of peak moments. And, and, and that was really surprising to us. It was an interesting finding. It's very encouraging. I think it is. What we found is it's all in how people start talking about their experiences at work, right? Those, those, all those experiences kind of aggregate up, um, you know, to kind of a, your overall sentiment of your employee experience, right? If I was to ask you, you know, on average, do you have a good employee experience, a bad employee experience, kind of a neutral one, kind of good and bad, you could come up with a, an answer for me right now. But if I was to ask you to tell me why, where do you go? You go to those peak experiences or those valley experiences to tell me the story of your employee experience. And so that's why they're important. You want to create, you know, peak experiences and minimize valley experiences. But if you have a valley once in a while, it's actually okay as long as you're having really great experiences and just overall good experiences at work. We tend to forget the... <clears throat> we tend to forget the troughs or the valleys more than the peak experiences, right? Is it just it's a little bit of self-preservation or just human nature? Well, your your brains don't, I mean, they, they want to dwell on on a certain type of story. They don't want, I mean, we, we don't really want complex stories to tell about our lives sometimes. It's a lot of work. It, it is a lot of work, and it's a lot of work for your brain to keep up. 
Um, now, do, do people focus on the negative? Sure. We, we found that when those employee experience stories were negative, we found it was because they just didn't have any peak experiences or, or not that many. And so the predominant story or narrative that their brain created for them was just full of these longstanding trough moments. And that is what has kind of that that is where a lot of our our um, thoughts around the lasting effects of bad experiences have come from are those employees that we just always hear from about that negative experience. So it seems like for a, a while there, employee life cycle was the sort of the white whale that everyone was chasing. Now it seems to be all about employee experience. Um, what do you think caused that shift? It's a good question. So first off, I think there's a lot of organizations still equating employee experience with the employee life cycle. Mm -hmm. And so there hasn't been a shift, right? Mm, so it's, or, just, it's there's synonyms there. How do I put this? There are uh, <laughs> false synonyms. <laughs> in, in a way, yeah. So and, and you know, I, I came from HR, right? My career has been in HR and and, and you hear about the employee life cycle and is the, it is this thing that is what we create programs around and and really the culture report is not saying that we should get away fully from the life cycle. I believe that it is a valuable strategic tool, but it's narrow-sighted. Mm. It's focusing on groups of experiences that for a large majority for time at work we don't interact with. And employees don't think that way. They don't think uh hey Today I'm in onboarding, and tomorrow I'm going to be in development. <laughs> that's, not, that's not how we think about work. Because every day we're having experiences. And so to really move the needle in employee experience, it's all about transcending the employee life cycle to what life at work really is. A, many different experiences that you're having you know, on a daily basis. And in some ways, that's kind of scary to HR. The life cycle has been this place that we could go and we could focus on. And they're good places to focus on, but they they have a very small amount of overall impact if you think about all the different experiences that you're having outside of the life cycle. So once you get, you have those life cycle stages covered, we really start we really should start focusing on all the other experiences that we can impact. So it's not that we should dismiss the idea of an employee life cycle uh, as a way to you know improve people's uh, lives at work. It, it's more like there's another layer that you should be paying attention to. The employee life cycle is maybe the bare minimum. I think so. Kind of a hygiene factor, you mm -hmm. know, if, if you want to think of it that way. And really what we need to elevate to is focusing on the employee experience, really life at work. That's what we need to be focusing on. I mean, and there's there's ways that we can make that smaller and, and more manageable. If you think about recognition, having an established recognition program, for example, that brings consistency and structure to how we give recognition, how, how those experiences should go and facilitate really meaningful recognition experiences, well, you've just knocked out tons of experiences that can happen on a daily basis, right? So it's it's finding those high-impact groups of micro-experiences that you can have an impact on and then make those impacts, bring structure, and, and bring guidance. People often don't do things because they just don't know how to do it. Well, speaking of guidance, uh, leadership is also discussed at length in the, the newest culture report. What does modern leadership 
look like? And why is it so hard to get people to transition away from the sort of tired tropes of what it means to be a leader? It's a hard question. I think let's start with just this whole notion of what a modern leader is. Mm. And and to really do that, let's go back to what a traditional leadership leader probably is. It's that it's those leaders that we've concentrated a lot of power in that um, you know, are more directive. They are focused on simply evaluating performance and and really in a lot of ways gatekeeping. Mm-hmm. They're they're focused on protecting territory for their team. You know, there's a there's something very medieval about traditional leadership, um, and, and I'm not saying that necess- that it's always been wrong or is wrong. It has definitely gotten results. Look at where we are now, but what we found is that there's a lot of negative outcomes associated with traditional leadership. Heck, there's an increase in um, burnout incidence rate. There's a decrease in engagement levels. There's decreases in uh, all the cultural magnets that we measure and quite a few other outcomes when traditional leadership is is present. Uh, so we started looking at, well, what is different? What should be different about leadership? And that's where we started focusing on this kind of archetype of a modern leader. And, and at their core, modern leaders are connectors. They connect people to purpose. They connect people to accomplishment. And they connect people to one another. Um, in doing so, they take on more of a mentor or an advocate role for their team members. And shared leadership is a cornerstone of their leadership strategy, of their philosophy. Um, instead of telling everybody what they should do, they give influence and power back to their employees to lead out on projects and things on their own and to be there to guide them through and to make decisions. And sometimes when their employees make mistakes to help them kind of just address that because making mistakes is also part of the growth process. Modern leaders are are very different than traditional leaders. And really at its core, it's because they're giving power back to their employees. They're not just taking it for themselves. So is Listening a big part of being a a modern leader or does it go beyond that? Is it more of an organizational uh, thing to uh, aspire to? You know, I think, uh, you know, it's both, right? Leaders, great modern leaders listen to their employees. And and what I think organizations and most leaders are really good at right now are just tearing employees. And what we found is that organizations and leaders that are doing this well have transformed from just simply hearing to listening. Listening is a much more active version of hearing. But it's uh, it's understanding, processing, and... Taking action. Doing, yeah. Doing, exactly. So many organizations just simply do an annual survey. Or... They've gone to, because people complain about the annual survey, and we all know it's pretty ineffective, they go to just uh, pulled surveys, hmm. no annual survey. And, w- and what they found is that both of those are actually, and what we found in our research, both of those are not great, you know, just singular approaches. In fact, listening is multifaceted. It has many modalities, right? Many different types of ways that we listen. Leaders are among those. An annual survey is okay, as well as per- pulled surveys. But don't forget about interviews, uh, focus groups. We even found suggestion boxes when used appropriately to actually be an important part of a listening strategy. Better than pulse surveys or? Well, used in conjunction with things, right? This is a more multifaceted multifaceted strategy. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Because the next part of like actually hearing employees comes the action part is letting them know that you heard them. Right. That's where we start moving towards listening. So many organizations are just like, well, you know, this this result doesn't surprise anybody and they don't send it out. Right. Or they worry that they're going to make things worse by sending, you know, information out. And, and I'm not going to say that that couldn't be a possibility. But, you know, if things are kind of bad in, in an area, most likely people already know that. And you're not going to surprise anyone by saying that. And it, that is actually very powerful for an employee because if you feel like you're the only one that feels that way, that can actually be incredibly isolating within it your drive culture. drive you crazy. It, it can really hurt your sense of belonging, right? And your sense of a lot of different things. And then the next action with list, to move from hearing to listening is actually do something about it. And we know, and, and employees actually know too, that sometimes the ask is big and it's not going to happen immediately. But organizations we found are really not great at keeping employees in the loop about their progress towards some of these things and just not addressing other things, right? There's little things from those surveys, from those listening tools that you can address, right? Little tiny things that are causing some some issues that are really easy to fix. So fix them. Communicate about them. We found that if you do that within the first 30 days, it greatly increases the probability that employees will feel heard, that they feel like they have an effective listening strategy, that they have influence at their organization. And I think the most important one that it really, the perception that it really increases is that the, empl- the organization is going to do what's right, even if it's tough in the midterm, because change is hard. So you can, just by taking action within the first 30 days on something even small, you can really engender that trust in the process. What's coming up for the 2021 culture report? Can you tell us anything? Give us some sneak peeks or is it top secret? Well, most of it is top secret, but maybe maybe I can do a little bit of a research teaser. Let's see if I can stick some emotion into something. Um, So, you know, next year is 2020, right? And organizations are trying to figure out what to do next for the next five to 10 years. It's that perfect decade year. Right. We all all do some kind of introspective <laughs> type of type of work. Um, so what we're looking to do or to focus on is around the future. And there's a lot of things going on right now. Technology has outpaced the pace of change in technology has outpaced the pace of change in technology for decades. Um, that's a really exciting time to kind of be doing something, to be doing research and culture. We get to imagine a whole different world. Um, and we have a new generation. We get to m- imagine what they are like in the workplace. Um, and so I'll leave you with a very future focus on, you know, what is in store for organizations and how culture will need to change in order to remain that key differentiator Um, that helps you retain, engage, and attract the best talent. It does seem like the next 10 years are going to be very interesting. Very interesting. Fascinating, actually. So before you go, I have a couple rapid-fire questions for you. So don't, you can answer in one word if you want to. (laughs) Um, So what's the last book or article or tweet that you read that you still think about? 
minimalist and it's all about like <laughs> living from a minimalist perspective and it's been critical to my dejunking of my house it's amazing as you as you live in a place for an extended amount of time the accumulation of things so it has been a great there's a great model in there for how to like um, you know, separate your emotions from things <laughs> and to throw things away. It's great. In one word, how would you describe your ideal workplace culture? Warm. You know, I want a place where I'm uplifted, enriching. There's there's a lot of mm. words that, that I would place there um, because I want a place that adds value to my life and that I can add value to that organization and that I can add value to, uh, you know, the ultimate end customer, end user. What technology should we use more and what technology should we use less? Well, I think we should use social media less. <laughs> I, and, and, you know, part of it is that we, we start, we have stopped communicating with people in ways that we used to. Um, I read a fascinating article, uh, and this is getting off track a little bit, but just bear with me. And it was all about how, um, you know, the disappearance of patios on the front of homes and how we've retreated back into our backyards, our private backyards, and, and how that is hurting cohesiveness of communities. Right. As we look at just the next 10 years in general, not even thinking about workplace, just in general, I think there's going to be we're going to crave human connection again because we're hurting our connections in a lot of ways. We have a lot of superficial connections, but we don't have as many deep connections, not like we used to. And we didn't have to work really hard to create even a new connection. Heck, I could send you a friend invite right now. I think we're actually friends on on stuff. So, but I could send you a friend invite <laughs> now, and uh, you know, I would still accept. I well, I appreciate that. But then that would be the start of a connection. Was it ever that simple before? Probably not. Um, Is there a technology that can that you think could help us connect, or should it? Would you recommend more face to face in person interactions? It's. I think at least if we're going to, if we're going to such a virtual world sometimes, like in so many ways, the world is shrinking. It's smaller than ever, at least video. Like, you know, we have the option to still see each other, uh, to still connect with each other on more than just a verbal level, more than just through written text. The ability to see your facial expressions when you cringe because I said something stupid, um, you know, that ability to uh, to notice and to understand and to communicate back and respond to is critical. And I worry that we're going to lose that. Uh, so I think, you know, if a video, I mean, at its simplest core, more video connection with each other if, if we can't. We all thought the future was going to be, you know, just like video, video calls and like everything. And, and no, it devolved into, well, not devolved. It, uh, it became more text-based, which I don't think anybody expected, you know, no, no sci-fi films showed people just like, you know, typing a little keyboards and not talking to each other. They're all on holograms, yeah. right? Like, it, <laughs> yeah, there's a visual component. Gosh dang it. Who needs video? More holograms. People. More hol that's the, that's the technology <laughs> we need to invest in. <laughs> What do you love about your job? Uh, a lot of things. Um, 
A, I just, I have the most fantastic team. Um, and, and, and to be honest, they're one of the key reasons I stay. I love my team. I love to see them go out and to, to find something out. We're all researchers, right? And there's a thrill of research. And that brings me to my second thing that I love about my job. I'm a researcher to my core. I like to ask questions and I like to find answers to those questions. That type of enterprise, that type of interaction is, is something that I value. It's intellectual, intellectually stimulating to me. Um, and, and then to be able to mix that in with the ultimate goal of my research, which is to help people, to help organizations um, appreciate their people better, to build cultures that help people actually accomplish and thrive, not just for the organization to thrive, but for people to really thrive too, to have people have a great day-to-day experience so they're not bringing home horrible things all the time to their families, right? Our research contributes to that. I'm, I'm not going to say that it contributes, you know, big, huge things, but we do make a contribution there. And that's something where I'm lucky. I've been able to align something that I love to do, which is research, to, you know, actually helping others while also being able to work with people that I just truly enjoy working with. Who are your heroes? Who are my heroes? This is going to sound maybe a little stupid, but I don't have any big heroes. My heroes are the everyday people that um, stand up for what they believe in, even when that's tough, that do something extraordinary with little means, that see an opportunity to make a difference in somebody's life and to seize upon that and do it. Those are my heroes. I think everybody could be a hero to me and to others and to themselves. That was beautifully put. Alex, it's been a great pleasure having you on The Workplace. I am impressed with the 2020 Global Culture Report and excited for next year's. I appreciate it. It's been so much fun. A shout out really to my team who really brought it together and made it such a great thing. And when I say my team, I mean, the there were about 60 people mm. that worked on the culture report. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. And, and, you know, we're talking today and I'm talking to you about it, but really the credit goes to them. Oh, ever, ever humble, Alex. Sometimes. <laughs> Thanks again. Now it's time for Tangible Takeaways, where we give big ideas a spa day so they can unwind, unpack, and finally try that Russian thing where they slap you with birch branches. The first is that peak experiences have more impact than valley experiences. Not that you shouldn't be worrying about the negative aspects of workplace culture. They still matter, but peak experiences, the ones that surprise, delight, and reaffirm everything you love about a company, have the power to define or redefine how people perceive their workplace culture. Valley experiences can ruin a day or a week, but peak experiences will be remembered for a lifetime. The second is that modern leaders are connectors. 
Instead of being a source of authority, they're more of an advocate for their teams. They share their leadership, give influence and power to employees, and let them lead out on projects. And along the way, they guide and support their employees, and if necessary, offer advice and correct mistakes. The third is that we've been tinkering with hologram podcasting technology in our little basement lab, and if you'll indulge me, I'd like you to help me beta test it. I'll just get in the holocaster, connect to the RSS feed. Oh, it tickles. Okay, now open your phone's flashlight app and point it at the nearest fog machine. Here we go. Okay, can you, can you see me? Is it working? It doesn't feel right. Oh, oh no. no! That's it for this episode of The Workplace. If you liked it, or even if you didn't, please rate, review, and of course, Subscribe to The Workplace on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode was written and produced by yours truly, with editing and original music by Daniel Foster Smith, who also composed our theme song. If you have a burning question about workplace culture, or a story about why your workplace culture is the best or worst, send it to theworkplace at octainer.com. The Workplace is sponsored by O.C. Tanner, the global leader in engaging workplace cultures. O.C. Tanner's Culture Cloud provides a single, modular suite of apps for influencing and improving employee experiences through recognition, career anniversaries, well-being, leadership, and more. If you want your organization to become a place where people can't wait to come to work in the morning, visit octanner.com.